Welcome to Corbell CareerCast, the podcast from the Office of Career and Professional Development at the Joseph Corbell School of International Studies at the University of Denver. Today, we are joined by Corbell student Alejandro Chavez, who will interview Denver Heron, our diplomat in residence from the U.S. Department of State. Alejandro, take it away. Awesome. Thank you, Heather, uh, for the introduction. My name is Alejandro Chavez, a current master's candidate and undergraduate alum from 2019 here at Corbell. Like many students here at Corbell, I'm eager to learn about opportunities with the U.S. Department of State for career and professional development. Um, thank you to the DOS Diplomat in Residence for the Rocky Mountain region here chatting with us today. Denver, will you please take some time to introduce yourself, share a brief overview of your career journey, and share an overview of the DOS mission? Okay. Well, thank you, Alejandro. I appreciate the introduction, and I appreciate you having me on here today. Uh, as you said, my name is Denver Heron. Uh, I am a career diplomat with the U.S. Foreign Service. I have been in the Foreign Service now for 24 years. I've served in eight countries around the world. Um, I've taken my family with me everywhere but to Iraq. And so it's been a, a career that, that's allowed me to, to have my family with me. Now, my background, I'll start with just briefly. Uh, I had no intention of traveling or working for the U.S. government. Um, I grew up in a small town in rural Oklahoma. We had about 350 people in the town. And um, I really had a career in mind of just going to work at the same factory my father had worked at, raise a family, live in my same hometown for my whole life. Um, I start by telling people that because I, I want you to understand that the path of the Foreign Service is varied. And it can be any path. Um, so for from my perspective, it, we welcome all comers. Uh, and we want the diversity that comes from different perspectives and ways of life. The Foreign Service, or the U.S. Department of State, is the oldest cabinet office. And President Washington decided there was a need for diplomats before he chose any other cabinets. Uh, I think that's worth mentioning because sometimes it gets lost in translation how important diplomacy is to the U.S. government. Uh, we're operating in 275 locations around the world. Um, we have over 50,000 employees. We're a large employer. We're worldwide, and we need all types of employees. So it's not just for the political science major or the econ major, but the business major, the lawyer, the human resources officer, uh, general services, logistics, supply chain, management. All of these are factors that we look at. So a career with the Foreign Service gives you an opportunity to take whatever it is, skills that you have, and apply them to assist the U.S. government. Awesome. Thank you for that overview. Um, yeah, I think this is, you know, like you said, this is a great opportunity, just not just for someone that's interested in politics, but something that um, allows you to jump in and feel like you can contribute to your country from any field. Um, 
We'd like to tailor our conversation a little bit more towards the Corbell grad student, though, because that's our, our audience. Of course. Uh, requires our students to participate in experimental learning, which is often leads to internships and that type of uh, um, experience. Can you provide an overview of the internship opportunities available with the Department of State and what students should expect from those in experiences? Okay, our internship program, uh, we have two basic concepts. We have the, and this, this is a slightly confusing concept. We have the U.S. Foreign Service Internship Program, which is merit and needs based. And then we have the paid internship program, which is just merit-based. For graduate students, that's primarily the second one that I mentioned, the paid internship program. Uh, it's still relatively new for the Department of State in that prior to 22, um, it was unpaid. So we made the switch in hopes of drawing on a more varied background of applicants. Uh, we didn't want the lack of funding to be a contributing factor in reducing our pool of applicants. So right now it's a paid internship program. It, it, we have spring, summer, and fall. Uh, next month, we should be opening for the summer process. And um, we never really know the date. <laughs> and it, that could be frustrating for everybody, including us as DIRs. Uh, but it's coming. It's going to be a very short window, as it always is. And one of the things that, that continues to be a tripping point for people is not following the instructions once they start to apply. Mm -hmm. As they go through the system, make sure they read every element right and they answer it uh, fully because we get a lot of candidates who just don't make it through the process simply because they haven't followed all of the guidance. The, the other thing that, that quite often is a challenge for candidates is uh, the resume portion. Uh, you have to enter the resume into USA Jobs and you need to use their form. Don't download your own resume or upload your own resume. and. What I try to encourage people to do is look at our website, careers.state.gov, and look at the dimensions of a foreign service officer. There's about 11 of them now. And try to figure out how your work history or your learning experiences or your travels apply to those dimensions. And then try to figure out how you can weave those dimensions into the resume you're submitting in USA Jobs. And by doing this, you're kind of leading the people who are reading it to find the things that they're looking for in their candidates. And so those, um, so, you, so I, the dimensions already become come at play when you're doing an internship process, not just for FSOT or later right. on. The, the dimensions are always in play, whether it's an internship, a fellowship, or a job. Uh, what what you're going to be able to draw on or what you're going to be able to describe is going to change based off of your experiences. You know, the more experience you have, the more broad it is, it may change what you talk about. Mm -hmm. But quite often people get lost in thinking, well, I, 
I don't have any experience. Well, as a student, you can have experience. As an employee at McDonald's, you can have experiences that relate if you think about them from the right angles. Um, if you take somebody that works at McDonald's, if they're working as part of a team, uh, how well did they do when they were working as part of a team? Did they take the initiative on anything? Uh, were they supportive of their leader? Uh, how were they viewed? Did they work with people from different nationalities while working at McDonald's? If they did, they were working across cultures. So there's all these things that often aren't thought about from a, a basic job that would show demonstrated skills. Uh, I try to encourage people to understand that it's not what you've done or where you've been, but how well you did what you did while you were there. And can you demonstrate or talk about what it is that you did and why it was important? So, so from what I'm gathering, there's not an ideal candidate for these internship um, application processes. I, I think I'd probably flip that just a little bit. I think there are too many ideal candidates for it. Okay. It's, it's not that there's one specific candidate, but a, bre a breadth of experience can still lead to the same point. And mm -hmm. don't disqualify yourself because you don't think you've got the chops. Look back and see what you've done and find a way to express it in a way that shows you do. Um, just to wrap up here, is there any other tips or suggestions you have for the interview for the internship process? I, I think that the, the key element uh, that is can't be overlooked is be meticulous in your grammar and in ensuring there are no typos in anything you're doing. Uh, you want it to be as professional as possibly can be. And uh, from time to time, students will wait towards the end of the process and try to rush it in. And anytime you can, give yourself a, a chance to breathe, walk away from a document and come back to it and look at it with fresh eyes to make sure you're not making a mistake. No, definitely. And definitely probably I can plug the OCPD office, definitely reaching out to our advisors here at Corbell to um, get that assist and that uh, revision going. Yeah, it, you know, the, the Corbell team is excellent at this, and they're a resource that many schools don't have that gives you an advantage here. No, that's great. That's great to hear. Um, students at, at Corbell are often looking for post-graduation career opportunities with the Department of State. Um, often the first consideration is the foreign service officer positions and route. Um, but can you provide some insight into the other pathways to entering um, DOS? Um, I'm thinking more along the lines of civil service positions and how that differs from foreign service. Yeah, so the Department of State is broken into two elements. There's the, the foreign service, which is the one element of it is the foreign service officers that everybody's heard of, the traditional diplomats, of which there are five career tracks. There are also 19 other specialist careers that are considered foreign service uh, that range everything from IT professionals to facilities managers uh, and human resource officers, finance officers. 
all of these types of positions are foreign service, but not foreign service officer generals. But then on the other side of it, we have the civil service program, which are people who primarily work in Washington, D.C., uh, but still want to support the U.S. mission. And those jobs are advertised on USA Jobs. Okay. And they they give you the ability to stay specialized in a way that a foreign service officer generalist cannot. Uh, you may have something that's a passion, something that you really want to focus on for your entire career. Well, that's when you would look at the these civil service positions because they allow you to stay specialized. Um, and so that that is an avenue quite often for people who who have a very precise view of what it is they want to do. Um, and from time to time, people who start as specialists will transition over to become generalists later on in their careers when things in their lives have changed and maybe they want to get out and branch out of it. And just to clarify, so... Um... All foreign service positions, would they have to go through the FSOT? Um, no. The foreign service officer generalist, the five positions, which are uh, management, uh, public affairs, consular, uh, econ, and political, are the five that take the FSOT and go through that process. There are 19 others that... Some are advertised on our careers.state.gov page, mm -hmm. and some are advertised through USA Jobs. Um, and those require specialized knowledge. You'll need to have a degree for almost every one of those. It will need to be in an area that's associated with the role you're taking on. And some may even require some years of experience, which is very different from the FSLT route. Now, that's not to say that, say, you wanted to become a diplomatic security special agent. You would still end up taking a test, but it would be a different test. We have something called an office management specialist, which is a career where you manage one of our offices within an embassy. It'd be the political section or the um, econ section or the ambassador's office. And your job is to manage the internal operations within that to support the foreign service officers. But those, all of those careers, they go through a different hiring process, but we'll have tests with them as well. Great. Um, and would you say the application processes um, differ in the like how involved they are as far as the civil versus the foreign service? Um, I'm thinking uh, the Foreign Service route is just a little bit more involved and there's a little bit more expectation setting for that pathway. I think probably, I, I, I hate to say one one is more this than that uh, because it, it, you are looking at professionals in each one of these fields and they have... Um, elements that are challenging and so the process is different but not necessarily more more difficult than another um i think people think of the fso process as being 
cumbersome because it starts with personal narratives and then a test. Uh, and if you get through that stage, then they do an evaluation. And if you get through that, then you go on to, to do an assessment. And then if you make it through the assessment stage, then there's a background investigation, a medical examination, and a final review. And so it's lengthy and cumbersome uh, and thorough. But the requirements to start the process are different because you don't have to have a degree. Uh, it doesn't, if you do have a degree, it doesn't have to be specialized in any way. Uh, but it really boils down to how well you can take an exam and if you can demonstrate those dimensions that I spoke of earlier when we're talking about internships. Whereas for the specialist jobs or the civil service jobs, you're going to have the traditional path into those jobs where you submit your resume that demonstrates your education and background and your qualifications. And then if you meet those, then you're going to go on to the next stage of that. And then at the back end, if you get to that through those, then you still have to do the background investigation, the medical examinations, and the final review. So you end up almost in the same spot. It's just where you start and how you start differs. Yeah. That's great to know. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about the role the personal narratives play in the application process for the FSOT. And um, we've touched a little bit about the various dimensions, but just um, how those are integrated in that. So I, I feel like I'm a broken record sometimes uh, because I refer back to the dimensions quite often. The, the personal narratives became a greater portion of the process in the last uh, 24 months. Uh, what we're doing now is you're, well, let me back up. It used to be that all it was was if you could pass the FSOT, you moved on to the next day. And what we were finding is we had a large number of candidates who could pass the, the written exam, but could not pass the officer assessment that was the next stage. Mm -hmm. uh, the passing rate was below 25%. And as we tried to examine why, it became clear that standardized testing is difficult for some people. There are people who don't take tests well. There are people who take test extremely well. There are elements of a test that may be difficult for some people. And so we wanted to find a way to capture this. And so by incorporating the personal narrative, which we ask people to do anyway, uh, but incorporating it at the beginning, it gave people a chance to not have a timed process to draft their narratives. They can take their time with it, they can write them, they can review them, they can have somebody else review them, and then they can submit those. Uh, and so now we're grading the personal narratives in coordination with the Foreign Service Officer test. And you take the two together to get a, a passing score that will send you on to the next stage. Since we've switched to this, we've had a success rate in people getting through the Foreign Service Officer Assessment that's over 65%. So we've we've actually seen a tremendous 
improvement in the quality of candidates that are making it to the next stage. And we're seeing more diverse candidates making it to the next stage. So I think that it's been very helpful. Now, as far as how to write the personal narratives, it's very similar to what I talked about when I talked about the uh, internship process. You want to look at the narratives, look at your work history, look at your school transcripts, your travel history, your life experiences, and see how you can weave those dimensions into the narratives in a way that demonstrates you met these qualifications. That's awesome. Um, I think it's great to hear that that, that narrative um, piece is getting um, priority just because it. I think it definitely, like you said, is allowing more diverse candidates to come through and also shows the Department of State's um, dedication towards diversity, equity, and inclusion. Well, I think that we're getting close to the end of our conversation. Um, I just want to say thank you so much, Denver, for taking the time to chat with us today and to share your insights. Um, I also just want to highlight that Denver has office hours here at Corbell, and um, students are able to access those through uh, PCO. Great. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, if anybody that hears this wants to chat with me, please reach out. Thank you, Alejandro and Denver, so much for joining us today for this conversation. I think it will be very useful for students to hear your, your tips, particularly the attention to detail in the application process and not waiting until the last minute. So I think that's great. And uh, as they mentioned, I appreciate that shout out that we are happy to assist with any of these application processes in the OCPD as well. So thank you very much. And we hope you will all join us next time on Corval CareerCast. Thank you.